This week on Cine Chill. Okay, guys, separate the antennas and spread out. Mike, we're on station and ready to copy. Let's do this. You have no idea. No idea what's going on here. We're getting some serious spikes here, guys. Hold your position, Roy. We're losing the signal. I'll help you if I can. But it's really all on you. But we don't have a choice. We've got to do something. It's the choice you make right now that counts. You make the right moves here, and you have in your hands the greatest discovery in the history of mankind. Hold on! Hold on! Right, right! Run, To think that this film would be projected up on big screens across America was just a dream come true. We're, we're actually really proud of how grassroots this film is. Kind of jumped off in the deep end and went, we're going to shoot this and we're going to put it together and see what we get. If somebody had to come and drop that five million quid on our desk while we were making it Cosmos, we'd have gone, you know, actually, we're fine. Like, we really love what we're doing. There is no money. We're all in it for the fun. If you're OK with that, let's carry on talking. And each one of them were like, yeah, I'm all right with that. Sod it, let's just make it and not need to rely on anybody else. If I'm as good as I think I am, I should be able to do this. You can really lose track of what matters. Like, we all fell in love with filmmaking once upon a time because we love movies and we just want to make them. Welcome to the Cinechill Podcast. Today on the show, we have Xander and Elliot Weaver, the two brothers who made the feature film Cosmos. We talk about how the film came about, what it was like making the film, and how they got Hollywood-level results using relatively cheap equipment. Enjoy the show. We've, we've effectively um, spent six years. We made a, a no-budget sci-fi movie called Cosmos, and, and it really was a no-budget. Like, we had no outside support. We, we spent a bit of money on it ourselves, but very, very minimal. You know, we paid for petrol and biscuits and sandwiches and things like that, but uh, no one on the crew or the team or anyone involved got paid. The core crew of the film was three people, and the core cast of the film was three people, so there's about six people uh, and then we had our, our composer who did the music as well. So about seven people uh, put this feature film together over the course of about six years. And, you know, and it's been released and we've had this just incredible experience doing it because making it in such a small group has just, it's formed like this family of like film lovers and, and filmmakers. And um, the community has got around us. It's just been an amazing experience. So, yeah, when it comes to the end credits and the, <laughs> and the movie, the movie ends. We were like, do we do we try and make this look like? Well, we were like, we can't have it scroll because <laughs> it, it would it would just scroll by in about ten seconds, and people would be like, oh, you oh. know. So we had these title cards, these still cards, fade in and out, but. Yeah, that was a funny conversation. We were like, we've got it. We genuinely we didn't can't know, scroll. We this. didn't know whether to make it look like it was a bigger film than it was or whether to just be open and honest and be like, you know what? There are just a handful well, of names here. Sometimes you watch like quite small movies or shorts and then mm. you get to the end and the credits are like longer than the short. Uh, and you're <laughs> like, wow, that's wow. A lot of people worked on that. And we were we were thinking, well, you know, we're we're actually really proud of how grassroots this film is so we we kind of wanted to show that off we didn't want to shy away from it and we didn't want to hide it and make it seem like it was a bigger production than it was thinking that people would think we were you know it was cool that we'd had a big crew we were like actually no let's be proud of this and let's let's show off how small the production was yeah to some to some degree that's kind of our i guess our selling point for our movie is to say look this is a a complete no-budget film and just a few people worked on it. And I think for filmmakers out there, we, we just hoped that they would see it and go, oh, yeah, this is cool. Like, maybe I can do that people, too. They've, they've just gone and made a movie, so maybe I can do that too. That's what we hope. First of all, where can people see this movie? Yeah, cool. So the film, it, it's called Cosmos. If you search for Cosmos 2019, um, it will come out, it will pop up on Google. But it's available on Amazon Prime in the UK and the US, iTunes, um in, in the US, it's available on lots of platforms like Voodoo, 
um, red box, a red box, and things like that. PlayStation. But if you're anywhere that's not the UK or the US, your best place to find it is probably YouTube or Vimeo. It will be on one or two of those platforms. Yeah, they, they Vimeo is like a worldwide platform. There's no restrictions on. So uh, we get a lot of people, for example, in India, for example, that reach out to us and want to watch it and. We, we direct them to Vimeo. To Vimeo. But so, if yeah. you're in the UK or US, Amazon's a great place to go. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to watch it and watch it with like a pen and paper to take notes. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to do what these guys want me to do and just watch it. And so much of it went over my head. It's not sci-fi light by any... In fact, I wouldn't even say it's science fiction. I'm, like, I'm not going to spoil anything in it because I just think people need to watch it. Because uh, I had no idea what it was going to be about. I had a rough idea it was going to be about space but that was pretty much it i'd seen the trailer and that was enough for me to go right where is this gonna go it didn't dumb anything down how did you learn certain terminologies are you these three guys in the car are these all you well um there's a bit of a backstory to that but the film is about three amateur astronomers who kind of stumble across what they believe to be an alien signal from outer space. And we thought it would just be a really cool concept because we've seen similar kinds of stories from, you know, big government organisations like NASA or or, some, or SETI in films like Contact. And we were like, what if actually this enormous, potentially earth-shattering discovery was was made by three ordinary people, or so they believe, you know? So that was the, the kind of seed idea. But in terms of the, the Yeah, the I mean, well, particularly, like, in the amateur astronomy community make major scientific contributions to our understanding of space science. So although people might think, oh, well, they're only amateurs, obviously space is such a vast... Um, canvas if you like to observe and study the big government organizations can't do it all themselves so the amateur community do actually make massive discoveries and contributions about black holes or asteroids or all this sort of thing um so we we the 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 origin of cosmos came from we were making uh documentaries about the apollo program um, and we made between about 2012 and 2014 or 15, we made about nine or 10 uh, documentary shows for TV broadcast about Apollo. And we were we were as inspired by the ground engineers and the uh, the mission controllers as we were the, astron- um, the astronauts. And we actually got to meet a few as well. Oh, wow. And we thought, wouldn't it be great if we were able to put engineers and scientists as the heroes in a movie in a way that they actually are in real life. You know, when you're crossing the Atlantic, or do you remember those good old days when we used to fly across the Atlantic in an aeroplane? You know, you're sitting there watching your movie on your iPad sipping orange juice, and it's the engineers and the scientists that are keeping you safe. They are actually the heroes of our real world. They may not be the heroes of movie world, but in reality, they are. So we did a lot of research into what would be sort of the real-world protocols uh, and uh, procedures for this kind of discovery and you know who would be contacted how would it be authenticated uh, and we thought you know if these guys were really space scientists by day and amateur astronomers by night that when they made such a discovery they would instantly drop into like there wouldn't be nerds freaking out you know not <laughs> knowing what to do they'd actually jump on it in sort of almost like a military style mm. um precision and speed this is what we train for this is what we train for exactly <laughs> this is what we've been working for so we spent a lot of time reading online and researching and talking to people and trying to understand uh what that would be and actually when we uh premiered the film we premiered the first premiere of the film we had in the uk um was last July, and we actually invited um, one of the space scientists that we'd interviewed for our documentaries. He was a physicist and works on space projects. He brought a colleague along, and after the film, we met up with him in the in the cinema foyer, and he he gave us one of our gave us one of our greatest compliments. He said. That is basically how it would happen if it happened. Wow. And he, he said, like, I absolutely love it. Like, this is the, I saw myself in the movie. This is what it's about. And so we felt we'd really, we'd really grounded it and, and hit the nail on the head. It's sci-fi light in the sense that it's sort of a romp. It's an adventure movie. We kind of wanted to make almost like an Amblin-esque family-friendly movie. But then also we didn't want to dumb it down into movie-isms and, and sort of... 
uh, broad strokes that make it seem like it's it's fiction. We wanted to to ground it in a way that made it feel believable. It's kind of like how um, Nolan does his films, where he doesn't apologise for how technical they can be or how. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, which is great. Like, there's nothing worse than when you watch a movie and. You know, it's like we've got to get into this, and like someone's just like you hear them like tapping away, You're like right, we're in it. You're like, yeah, hacking in. I mean, there's a few of those things. Like, there's a few movieisms. So, like, we have a giggle at the fact that, again, it's not necessarily a spoiler, but there's one moment in the film where a countdown clock appears on a computer screen, and we have a bit of a laugh about it because it's kind of like in reality, who has a ticking clock on their computer? But, <laughs> but it's also we feel it's sort of. We, we didn't actually discuss it in the movie, but we kind of thought it would, it's funny that these guys love what they do so much. That they've, they've engineered their own programs and they've, you know, it's part of their love for what they do and it's part of the movie aesthetic. So it is this hybrid. It's kind of, uh, you know, it's, it, it takes itself seriously, but then it also, um, it's also supposed to just be very entertaining and enjoyable. Yeah, it's, 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 it's like a low budget blockbuster. We want people to smile and enjoy it when they watch it. Did you learn a lot of this as you were making it? Did you shoot stuff earlier on and then end up going back because you thought, well, now that we've been doing this for a while, why don't we go back to this part and make this on par with everything else that we've done since, you know, like when you find uh, like a better way to do something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, we, we pretty much shot it. Almost in sequence, really. Not not quite because we had a um, our first shoot was all exteriors, night exteriors um, locally, and then we came back after Christmas. Didn't we? It was yeah. just before Christmas. We came back after Christmas and we started all the interiors. So it's twenty sixteen. The film is set predominantly inside a car. You know, these hobbyists they have their equipment and they they go out into the night with their telescopes and their computers and they stargaze, and uh, that's the kind of set for our movie. So. We drove this. We drove a, this Volvo into a garage of a friend of ours, and we shot inside the garage as if we were out in the middle of a field at night, and that helped us shoot through the day and all that kind of thing. But yeah, we didn't really, we didn't come back to anything that we'd shot early on, unless we did do a few pickups here and there where we'd make a note and we'd say, actually, we might need to change that because it's not quite reading right. We we were cutting bits of the film together and mm. and we'd go actually that that's come across we wrong. need a shot of a cap or we need we a need shot of this or close <laughs> up on a keyboard yeah, yeah. or something um, so, um yeah yeah we kind of we'd done a few short films before cosmos so we we kind of we kind of jumped off in the deep end and went we're going to shoot this and we're going to put it together and see what we get and you shot it on a black magic yeah yeah we did we shot it on the black magic pocket cinema camera the original one um, so HD and you know it's this tiny camera and it it's just a fantastic it was basically the most affordable cinema grade camera we could find at the time um, but also we just liked the look of the image it produced and and we grabbed it and uh, many filmmakers I think would probably strive for bigger cameras and more expensive cameras but it, it did it served us incredibly well and uh would strongly recommend it to other filmmakers out there. Well, as most of the film is set in the dark, you know, there's no, like, grain, there's no nasty noise or anything like that. Did you do a lot of denoising on it? Um, we did. We did some. On some shots, we... I'd say, I don't know, a handful of shots, we were like, actually, we want to we boost the brightness on that one a little bit, so we'll do right. a bit of noise removal. But to be honest, not really. Like, we, we set our exposure on our lens we set our stop and we got our lights in and we we lit it how you would you know light anything really mm-hmm. so noise only really noise affects any camera you know if you're shooting on 35 mil or if you're shooting on imax or you shoot on an ari alexa like you, sensors and film stock gets noisy if it doesn't have enough light so sure it's not necessarily a budgetary constraint if you light things properly you you can avoid most of the the noise and grain issues and that's what we did and again you'll see even in big movies sometimes you make mistakes and you you do try and fix things with noise removal um there was also a a few bits and bobs in that but there's also a limit to the lighting that we had available you know like the equipment effectively our lighting kit was three led panel lights yeah and uh, yeah and uh we had a two kilowatt blonde on some shoots on certain like on on a handful of uh exterior bits but that's pretty much it and the rest was lit with practicals like desk lamps and computer screens and ipad screens and things like that 
Um, so yeah, there were moments when we were shooting exteriors, and you've got three LED panel lights, and you're trying to you're trying to get some throw on them. Um, and we did need to boost them a little bit in yeah. post, and we did some noise removal on those. But that's about it. That was the only kind of hack that we had, I think. Um, and we also like that shadowy. Um, I can never remember. If it's high key or low key. <laughs> it's low key. It's low key lighting. Um, I always get them confused. <laughs> uh, we like that sort of almost quite noiry uh, look to it, and, and we've had great fun also turning our monitors to black and white and just sort of freaking out about how things look in black and white. So <laughs> we don't mind heavy shadows. We don't mind lots of color. We really like it, and uh, that's that, that suits us well because we didn't have the power to do so. So. It was one again one of the great reasons of shooting the film at night. You know, we could get away with a lot more um, production value, as it were, inherently because everything was rolling off into shadow. You know, I think if we'd have made the film in the daytime, it, it, we might not have been able to create that atmosphere that we that we think we've managed to create. You shot a lot of this in your friend's garage. Did you yeah. do many test shoots, experiments before you started to? You know, officially roll and um, we did a short. Didn't we, we did a short film, yeah. When we first got the Black Magic Pocket Cinema camera, we were like, "Well, what's this going to be like in low light?" Like you said, and uh, what's it going to look like? So we shot something in our garden, <laughs> which was a little short film called Assault on the Senses. It was a yeah little poem that I wrote, and we just shot some things for it. Um, and we also did a bit of a teaser promo, didn't we? we did, for, yeah. for Cosmos itself, where that was shot on our driveway. We we kitted out our car with all the equipment to make it look like it was the set of the movie and we just got some kind of arty shots i suppose of of things on the desk and the computer screens and um some of the software and all that and and but that was about it really we didn't do any um kind of full full blown camera tests with the actors or anything like that we we just we jumped straight in and and we rode the wave. <laughs> you literally jumped in at the deep end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're quite lucky because we've spent, um, you know, we spent about 10 years, well, maybe not 10 years. We spent maybe about five years being freelance cameramen, um, sort of in industry. So we're quite sort of familiar with cameras and we've done a lot. We've been lucky to do a lot of actually sort of on set work where we've done our own projects, but we've also worked for other people and had experience with cameras. So, you know, you kind of start to get a vibe for what a camera can and can't do or what it likes and doesn't like. And um, again, I think maybe I'm wrong here because who am I to say? But I actually I actually think pretty much all cameras behave in a similar way. So again, mm -hmm. I think if you if you are shooting on a Canon DSLR or if you're shooting on a, I don't know, a Blackmagic or whatever, GH4, and you treat it well and you understand how to get a good exposure and get things in focus, I think if someone put an Arri in your hands and you, you, you know, you, you're going to end up with the same things. You know, they're not, it's not rocket science, it's just photography. So I think, you know, if you've got a little bit of experience with cameras, I think you, you do start to maybe build up a bit of foolhardy confidence, but... <laughs> um, you know, we, we, we kind of had a, a feel of what we knew we could get away with and we played to those strengths rather than aiming to do something we knew we couldn't achieve with what we had. So what kind of blew me away was the fact that companies like, there's a guy called Dale and he's got a company called Still Moving Media. He was on a podcast the other week and he's got a whole production team who work on these huge adverts and their adverts that are like, you know, 30 seconds long, two minutes long and obviously the, 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 the high-end stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's still, like, you know, take away the budget side of things. Um, what you guys are doing, you're making a feature film, which is like a thousand adverts. <laughs> <laughs> How did you decide on who's doing what? Was it just like a natural thing? Like, I can do that, and or you're good at this. Like, how did you decide on who's good at, at the certain jobs? Yeah, it was quite an organic uh, thing, really. When it, com when it came to post-production anyway, it was a case of, well... You know, I'll get on with this. You do that. You know, Elliot did, predominantly did the editing, but I'd sit in and we'd obviously work on it together. But he he then did the sound design and the sound mixing and the foley, and I did the visual effects, and we were just bouncing that around. But when it comes to filming, like the actual, you know, being on set and shooting with the with the actors, we we just kind of share the responsibility of lighting, of shooting, directing, sound recording. But yeah, we we literally we did. With the exception of acting in the film and uh, writing the soundtrack, which we were heavily involved with, with the fantastic 
a composer called Chris Davey in the UK. Uh, and we didn't do the makeup or the continuity. Our mom did that. She was our third crew member. Every every movie needs an on-set mom. Absolutely. Uh, everything else, lighting, shooting, focus pulling, sound recording, prop making, set dressing, you know, cutting, grading, sound design, foley, VFX, a lot, like everything. And then that, like poster making, poster trailer making, making, trailer making, website making, script writing, storyboarding. Like we did the whole thing. So yeah, when it does come to the, the credits at the end, we thought instead of putting, you know, written by, shot by, <laughs> <laughs> we just kind of bracketed it down into some core things and just and put our names there. But yeah, it, um, it's a great, it's actually really, it's really hard work, but it it's is. really good fun. And when we talk to people about making Cosmos the way we did, you know, we have to put the caveats in there and say, look, you know, it's it's not something without... It, 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 this can kind of sound a bit big-headed, but I don't mean it in this way. It's not something everyone can do in the sense that most people aren't that mad, you know? Like, most people would just be like, well, why would I do that? Why like, bother? Yeah. Why bother? So, you know, of course people can go away for six years and handcraft a film, uh, hand-make a film themselves, but why would you, I guess, is what some people would ask. Um but it's just something we kind of wanted to do. We, we had tried to set up a project before Cosmos, uh, a bigger project that needed more fi- uh, financial support. And we had a great team and we had a great script and we had people going, this is great, this is great. But you guys, you know, you, you, you're great blokes, but you've not done this before. And mm-hmm. we were going, yeah, well, that's very reasonable. You know, if I was asking for, uh, at the time we wanted uh, for the film we were trying to get together, it was five million pounds. Um, right, which ballooned because of the people we were able to get attached to the project. We got, we got these people attached and these people, and we were going, "This is incredible!" But actually, they came with, they came with price tags, <laughs> um, so the, the the film snowboarded a little bit. And we were going, you know, if I had five million quid. I don't think I'd give it to me either. Um, so we, I hope you didn't say that in a meeting. No, <laughs> we didn't. But you, you've got to be you've got to be realistic. You know, you've no, got to be yeah, yeah, you do, you do, um, and it doesn't matter who you've got attached. You know, I mean, you were twenty one, and I, I was, was yeah. 19, I mean, so. we had like at the time we had double negative visual effects. Um, who at the, at the time they'd just won the Oscar for Inception. Wow. Uh, they were attached, and we went down for a meeting with them, and they were like, "Look, you know, we love this script. We really like you guys. We don't really normally do this, but if you can get the money." We're in. Um, oh, really? And we were like, oh, blimey, you know. But their their fee, obviously, because they were world-class visual effects, they still are, they were like, we don't cut corners, we don't, you know, we're not going to do deals here, this is what we cost, and da-da-da. And we thought, they're fantastic, you know, we've now got this incredible element. Um, but in the end, the project, the, we, we could have pursued, the film was called Encounter, and we talk, we talk about it a lot. We could have pursued it. But in the end, we, we heeded the advice of some of the financial investors going, look, you know, if you could just go away and prove that you can do what you say you think you can do, then, um, then you know, that will give us some confidence. So we heeded that. We put Encounter on a shelf. We wrote a whole new film that was much more contained. But we, at the time, we thought we could probably bash out in about 12 months, go back to these financial people and, and get cracking on Encounter. Um, so we didn't really want to find ourselves writing a script that in six months' time or three months' time, we'd be going, okay, we need help again. We need some money. We need some crew. We, we can't do this on our own. And we're back to square one. We wanted to write something that was contained, that we could take full responsibility over with the gear that we had and go, do you know what? Let's just sod it. Let's just make it and not need to rely on anybody else. And that ended up being a, a much longer process than we anticipated mainly because we'd again we'd never made a film before so we didn't really know how long things took but also the standard of which we wanted to work to required an investment of time um but we often say to people which is why we do encourage it we were making the film we found a family of actors that we loved working with we're still best friends now and we would never have traded if somebody had to come and drop that five million quid on our desk while we were making it Cosmos, we'd have gone, you know, actually, we're fine. Like, we really love what we're doing. It's crazy, but I would encourage filmmakers to to do it if they if they think it's something they can yeah. benefit from. And whatever scale that is, you know, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't yeah. need to be a feature film. But you know, with shorts, people find themselves stuck in kind of development, looking for funding. And if you can get your hands on, I mean, most filmmakers these days have have the kit and i'd argue that most filmmakers have kit that's far better than the equipment or or let's say far more expensive than the equipment that we used for cosmos 
And, you know, it's it's this amazing moment in, in time for creatives and filmmakers. And you just think, actually, let's let's mobilize that technology. Let's use it. Let's let's make movies and tell stories. Yeah. And, and I would I'd strongly recommend people who are maybe looking and frustrated and feel like they're banging their head against a brick wall to actually just go, you know what? If I'm like, this is my challenge. If I'm as good as I think I am. I should be able to do this. I should be able to grab a camera, get some lights and some actors, tell a story without all of the kind of additionals that come with a, a bigger budgeted movie. And um, that's the challenge, you know. Do you want to take up the the, the indie guerrilla filmmaker challenge? And uh, That's what we literally said to ourselves. It is, wasn't yeah. it? We were like, can we set a movie in a car, 70% of it in a car with three guys talking to each other and make people watch it? And as soon as you kind of frame your... Um, limitations as as a challenge, as a, like a call to action, it becomes something that is empowering rather than like, oh, I don't have any money and all I've got, I, all I can do is make a film of three men talking it to each other in a car. Suddenly it becomes something that you're going, actually, I reckon I can do something. Robert Rodriguez talks about, about how Hollywood just washes away problems with the money hose. He says, like, the higher up the ladder they go, they just wash away money uh, problems with the money hose, but it doesn't make their films better. And actually, limitations, he says, it makes filmmakers dangerous. It makes them scary. Because if you can, if you can make a film on your own without needing a producer or a DOP or a sound designer or whatever, then when you walk into rooms with those people, they're, they're on edge. They're a bit nervous because they look at you and they know you don't need them. You're there going, look, you know, I want to work with you, but... Uh, you know, I have made a film on my own. I do know what I'm talking about. And it gives you a little bit of a... I think it might give you a little bit of an air of... Um, maybe some respect, I suppose. Maybe some respect, you know, yeah. It's not so much like... No, it's not about making It's not so nervous, much that the filmmakers don't need those people. They do, obviously. No, if no, you want to yeah, take those steps and produce bigger and better movies, you obviously need to collaborate and grow a team and everything. But it's more, I suppose, that they they look at you and go, well, fair enough, you know? Yeah, you kind of You kind of got out there and you did it and you did what I do and you did that on your own. So that's a, a kind of feather in your cap. And like El said, it, Robert Rodriguez says, it makes you dangerous. Makes you scary, he says. Be scary. Makes you, he, makes you scary, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, he also sold his body to science to he fund did, his he movies. Did, the <laughs> there is a line I have, and that, and if it involves pain, then Quite. I'm like, you know what? I, I think I'll just save up and get yeah. a job. Yeah. Quite. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I'd go that far, yeah. No, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't uh, advise anybody great, That book's a great book. Oh, the, it is. Uh, Rebel Without a... Crew. Crew, yeah. Yeah, it. yeah, it was one of our sort of... That was one of our Bibles while making the film. You know, we were like, if Rodriguez can do it and make mariachi, and then, yeah. then let's, let's, let's do it too. How important do you think it is, or how beneficial do you think it is that you've got, like, a team, like, it's you and, you know, your brothers, so you've got mm. that person who's got your back, where I think it's very difficult... Uh, if you want to do this on your own, like this is kind of where I've like fell back a little bit when I've tried to make projects because I've always felt like I need someone else there, not to motivate me, but just it makes it more real. Like, you know, if you, you, you feel like if you're doing something, you're accountable to that person mm. and that person feels accountable to you as well. You know, do you think it's easier to have that partnership than it would be to do this like solely on your own? I think yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. I think we even experienced that on the movie as a duo, as it were, because when we were there and we had all the actors there, you know, we had the three actors and our mom was there, the, the, the shoot would move forwards, we would have momentum and determination and all this stuff. And we're like, come on, we can do it, we'll get this finished. And then we would go out and we would go and shoot kind of little cutaways in the forest on our own. It would Insert just be shots. Elliot and myself. And and the whole the motivation was just not there. You know, we were kind of we felt like we were on our own. Uh, what are we doing out in the middle well, the of the forest? The energy was really low as well. Yeah, we were kind of tired, yes. and we didn't have to put on that facade of, exactly. of, of leading with the banner. You know, yeah. so so I think in terms of it really motivation, it's really important. But like you said, answering to other people, having somebody to bounce ideas off, and making it feel real, like it's it's not just you. I think it's hugely, hugely valuable, and and we do consider ourselves very lucky to to have similar sensibilities in films and want to make the same movies and yeah. have that partnership. And, and like you, Simon, you know, we, we know other filmmakers as well who work on their own, but they do sort of um, 
try their best to to partner up with other writers or other directors and have that that little community feel yeah i think that is important Mm, definitely my friend's making quite a few bits he's just had something put out on bfis oh sweet he made a short film for them they commissioned him while like what can you do while you're in lockdown oh wow he likes working on his own we've done some bits together we well i edited early days which is a show he directed and made but we are on completely different ends of the spectrum with what movies we like what our influences mm-hmm. are and i do think that is important that you're kind of on the same page yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah it's one of those things that you do need and again we actually experience this with some of our mates and we'll be talking and and we might be either sort of helping suggest ideas for their thing and they're just kind of look at you like, yeah, yeah. And you think, oh, I've actually, no, that's not their vibe. I've, I've suggested <laughs> something and they don't really like it. But I think if you can find people who are, yeah, your own tribe, if you like, then I think you can really start to um, get momentum with inspiring one another. And that's something I experience also, particularly because like I really, we both live and breathe films, right? Mm-hmm. But Xander has a bit more of a life than I do. Um, <laughs> so he'll he'll go and like play board games and he'll go and socialise with his mates and he'll have like time off of films. And I'll be sitting there going like, oh, I, I really want to, well, I, you know, I'm on my own. I, I, think I'll, I think I'll write a short or something. And then I just sort of sit at the keyboard and and I don't really know what to do. So I find myself when I'm isolated, I really struggle to, to get any momentum on anything. So uh, I can relate to that. And I, I do think it's important to have a, a writing, writing partner or a filmmaking partner of some kind. I love how your example of me having a life was going and playing board games. I, I know, yeah, playing board games. <laughs> well, of all the things. The board game renaissance is oh, real. It's real, man. I love a good board game. I yeah. mean, they're great. Good for socialising. Oh, good yeah. for creative thinking and all sorts. So, oh, yeah, yeah I'd definitely sure. promote that. But... Yeah, having that partnership. But this is the joy of movies, right? There's such a variety of people out there, different tastes, different styles, different stories to tell. But when you get that person that you can vibe with and you click and and you think, how about that? And they're like, yeah, I love it. And how about that? You can find them as well because we found them in the actors and we found them in our composer. You know, we were looking for people who, who would understand what we were aiming for. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. I'd really appreciate it if you can share this episode and subscribe. On each episode, filmmakers talk about their process and their journey. On the next episode, I'll be joined by commercial cinematographer Ian Murray, who has worked with brands such as Amazon, Guinness, Dove, Ikea, McDonald's, and many more. I had these figures in my career, these kind of male and female figures that saw something in me before I saw it in myself. So that's what we've got coming up on the next episode. But right now, let's get back to this week's guests. And action. We started shooting Cosmos before Stranger Things had been released. So we were sort of pitching something that was a little bit... uh, Well, it was more unfamiliar than it is now. Now, if you went... We get people go like, ah, you know, were you inspired by Stranger Things? And we kind of go like, no, we were inspired by the things that inspired Stranger Things. (laughs) Um, And, you know, you got a lot of sort of... um, sort of younger kids sort of like 11 or 12 or 13 and they don't know of like the Amblin era they they it's all new to them but yeah we we were pitching something to these actors going I know this might seem a little out of place right now but we want to make something like that and they some of the actors we talked to were like well I don't know whether that's my kind of thing and the guys we we circled in on that it really was something they wanted to do how did you find those actors the chemistry was really believable which is something that's very difficult i think to get they were all found in different ways really we went down the the more traditional routes i suppose and we tried casting websites and casting calls and all that kind of thing but in the end they were people that we crossed paths with so we get asked this uh, you know fairly often and the advice that we give to people who are trying to cast their films is always keep your eye out because you'll find that your life does kind of intertwine and cross paths with other creatives and other actors and um you know tom who plays mike in the film he was on a job that we were working on and we just so happened to kind of he wasn't acting he wasn't acting no but we would we he was actually running a course for young people like trying to boost their confidence and he was kind of running theater drills with them and trying to teach them how to you know have more confidence in their posture and all this stuff and we were like he's got to be an actor right you know he's like running around like a chicken in front of these kids (laughs) only an actor can do that has has that gut uh you know we talked to him and he was really interested he's an actor obviously and um Arjun is someone that our dad 
had worked with many years ago, actually a cameraman, um, but he has done acting over the years and uh, our dad recommended him. And Josh, who plays uh, Harry, we were looking for actors online and we came across Josh, Josh's Twitter, and he was in a play, but he'd injured, he had an injury. So he, instead of being in it, he had to, you know, sit on the sidelines, but he wanted to be involved. So he was blogging about it and video blogging and, and showing people what was going on. And we thought, well, if this guy is that passionate about acting, that he ha- he wants to still be involved, even though that he's sidelined, you know, he might be worth talking to. And again, we spoke to him and he was just perfect so it's very much a case of keeping your eyes open for the opportunity and and just talking to and people. We, we were up front with them straight away we were like look this is a no budget movie everyone's involved because they want to be involved if that we totally understand if that doesn't work for you you know everyone has to earn a living and we wouldn't ask you to do something you don't want to do but there is no money we're all in it for the fun if you're okay with that let's carry on talking and each one of them were like yeah i'm all right with that and um so everyone came to it because they wanted to be involved. They read the script and hopefully we, you know, we we talked to them and gave them an idea that, of what we wanted to do with it and they liked the sound of that. And they did, they became mates themselves uh, hanging out. There was a lot of hanging out while making the movie because when in between shots there wasn't a crew running around um, making the new setup run quickly and smoothly it was just Sandra and I moving shots uh, gear and the guys would stand and talk so that friendship and actually blossomed through the film and we somewhat filmed it in sequence so a lot of those early exterior scenes where they're a bit cold with one another those were the earlier scenes and actually the finale of the movie where they're bonded that was the final night shoot of the movie so there was a genuine sort of growth of friendship through the film and we did that intentionally because we we wanted them to uh to grow closer to one another and um and we've been hanging out ever since we wrapped in 2016 and we've been to tom's wedding and we've you know we hang out with josh and we've been and seen him in plays and you know, we, we, we have formed a friend, genuine friendship. We so were going it, climbing with Arjun weekly before the yeah, lockdown. Yeah, so. yeah. So that hopefully we, we, all we had to do was try and capture that, that friendship. And, and they are also very, as you see them in the film, they're very genuine guys. They're very warm, loving. They're not selfish. There's no, there was not a single argument or bickering between them during the shoot. We spent 55 days shooting together. Some of those were very kind of long, cold night shoots. And they were just awesome, awesome guys. So what you see in the film is, is who they are. And that's the thing, if you're not paying people on a film, I think you have to work twice as hard to make it a good experience for them. Yeah, Because you don't want them ever to say, well, I'm not getting paid. The money should never be why people are doing this. And like you guys, while you were making this, if that other project came alive, you'd be like, no, you know what, we're good. We're going to continue making this. Absolutely. With things like the visual effects and the sound design, they're not the easiest skills to learn. (laughs) But I watched it on my big TV with the surround sound. I was like, holy shit, this sound is incredible. It sounds so well mixed. You've got all these different sounds, all these different ambiences. And the car feels huge. Does that make sense? (laughs) Well... I mean, when I watched it, I wasn't thinking about, oh, that must have been hell to be shooting in a car. But after I thought, how the hell do they manage to make that <laughs> so interesting? You had all these different displays and all these different screens. And it reminded me a little bit of Alien, you know, the way yeah, it had that analog yeah. radar type feel yeah. to it. Yeah. What was that like learning the, the visual effects and the sound design? Or what was the most tricky to learn? Interestingly, like one of our touchstones was like submarine movies. So we were like, one of the early thoughts uh, about the film was we might go, well, people might go, well, I don't want to watch a film about three people in a car for two hours, but they'll happily sit and watch people in a submarine for two hours because that's really (laughs) cool. So we thought if we can make it like visually and audibly like that submarine environment where everyone's got headphones and there's beads of sweat and everything's reflecting off glasses, uh, it might be quite interesting. And, And you mentioned ambiences. So hopefully it's something that people won't, notice but it is in there and hopefully it will have an effect on them each one of the compartments where the guys sit so like Roy sits in the back and Harry sits in the front each one of those has like an individual audio signature that relates to their sort of computer setup so Harry in the front has got more of a sort of Mac laptop hum 
um, Roy in the back, he's got sort of like a process under under his desk that's crunching away. And they've all got different lighting feels as well. So Roy in the back is very red because he's close to the brake lights and he's got this little red desk light that helps him keep his night vision or whatever, you know. And Harry's got his little angle poise. And we wanted it to have visual and audio um, continuity so that you could cut around. Identity. Identity, yeah. You could cut around quickly and the geography would be sort of not obvious but people would know where they were in the car at any particular point when you cut around and and keep the shots interesting and one of the advantages of shooting on such a small camera um was that we were able to get the camera inside the car as as if the audience were in the car with the with the guys and had we had a bigger camera let's say like a an ari even maybe something like a red epic something bigger Mm-hmm. We would have to have done a lot more shooting through the windows and and like observing from afar rather than getting the camera in the car and and being with them and I think that helps a lot in keeping the film engaging hopefully and and bring the audience in but yeah uh, for sound design that was just a case of me for basic sound design was eighteen months solid for me five days a week um, <laughs> to to do all the dialogue uh, editing and polishing um, to lay in all the foley, the foot foley, the cloth foley, the breath pass, the ambiences, the bird tweeting, the computer touch typing, anything anything that's not dialogue was replaced. Um, And I did that single-handedly. And I did it layer by layer. I did chair leather creaks and everything. And I I did turn into like a little sort of goblin, basically, in that period. (laughs) I I went a bit crazy. And we live on a a main road, um, so we were like well let's record all the foley effects and i we set up a little sound booth in one of our upstairs (laughs) bedrooms built it out of uh, bed sheets and sort of uh, bath towels and the first night i got up there i was like i can hear the road i can hear cars so i had to record between the hours of midnight and 4 a.m because yeah and and i did that for about three months nightly Uh, i recorded all the sound effects and then laid them in and it was a process of really reading online and watching sort of interviews with sound designers and also just I spoke to one sound uh, engineer and he was like literally just trust your ears there's no right or wrong about this put a dvd in and listen to it and and copy what you hear and and that's kind of what I did I taught myself 5.1 mixing uh, with some help of that engineer we went to him and we were like please please like do our 5-1 mix for us and he was just like no I'm not going to do it you're, you're going to do it yourself he said you've done everything yourself and I'm not about to take that thunder from you he said I'll help you and I'll give you nudges but I'm not doing it for you you've got to do this yourself and we were like no but, uh, <laughs> yeah you're like, yeah. yeah yeah forget being like oh it's, it's cruel to be kind yeah, yeah. <laughs> please just do it but uh, again like all things in the film when we'd done it we were really pleased and proud of it and we actually we did premiere this film in a cinema. We premiered it at uh, Cineworld on Broad Street, a big multiplex screen. And we stood there in the theatre when we watched some of the test screening. And I was like, bloody hell, this sounds <laughs> like a movie. You know, I was I was nervous because I thought we're going to get all these guests in and is it going to sound... But, yeah, so it was self-taught. But all this stuff is there. If you just watch movies and stick your headphones on, I think you can learn a lot, you know? Yeah. And visual effects, that was Xander. Yeah, v- VFX was... Um... Uh, I, I used Blender, Blender 3D, which is an open source software. There's a speech by um, Steve Jobs, a famous speech where it's like a graduation ceremony, and he talks about all the things in his life that he chased because of, you know, an interest or a hobby. And they didn't make sense at the time, but looking back, they made perfect sense. They they influenced decisions later on in his life and they became a useful skill, even though he hadn't learned them for any specific purpose. And VFX was kind of one of those, really. So back in about 2011, maybe 2010, I came across Blender, this free software that you know with all this documentation online and this great community. And I just started learning how to use it. It's like you know, a 3D modeling software, textures, lighting, rendering, animation. You can do everything on it. And uh, yeah, I just did it, did it as a hobby. And then we came to making Cosmos and we were like, well, there might be some VFX elements in here, components. Can we do them? And 
we whipped up some tests, didn't we, before we even started shooting anything, and we were like, you know what, this all this is going to work. So it's not a VFX heavy movie, but there were about 160 shots in there. That's quite heavy. Yeah, for like, yeah. For one person. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it took me a long time, but they're mostly almost like set extensions. So we we put in tree lines and stars and things like that to make it feel like the world was bigger, that it wasn't just a closed off kind of dark area of a forest or something like that so so for example one we called them invisifex so there was a lot of like invisible <laughs> uh, effects that hopefully people won't notice so for example the front element of the telescope the lens is a visual effect um uh sort of it, the whole glowing light from within and all the reflection on the glass of the front end of the telescope that was done by xander um, right. quite painstakingly done by xander because yeah. we you know <laughs> what we had there in real life when we got into the edit we were like that looks a bit naff and actually it doesn't look like a telescope. People will laugh at that. So Xander was like, okay, uh, <laughs> I, I guess will see what I can do. I guess I have to learn how to do this. Then. <laughs> so, yeah, it was very much like that, but that was the whole production, really. How did you learn how to do that? Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I've, I've, YouTube is a lot of translating yeah. German, like, not <laughs> German, a lot of, uh, because a lot of Russian VFX artists put their stuff out on yeah, YouTube. Yeah. I only know this because I, I think I told you guys I had to make a bloody car fly for a client. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, well, we, <laughs> it was like, I think, about five seconds shot and they were blown away by it, but never, ever again am I going to say I can do something <laughs> before I know I can do it. Yeah, it's, it's um, tough. I found a Russian YouTube <laughs> video on how to do this, car, how to make a car look move more like a car, and I literally had to have my screen and then the YouTube screen and I would I wasn't listening to them because it was in Russian I was just <laughs> copying the mouse movements like yeah. how and it was like a 45 minute tutorial oh, or something brilliant it was painful. Yeah. it's 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 one of those things where you overhear um sometimes you hear on like making of things or promotional promotional videos with producers and they'll talk about visual effects or CGI and they mm. they they make it sound like it's you know you click a button on a computer or, or sometimes you know e- computer generated image yeah like, well, or, or you kind of. or you talk to people outside of the industry and they go well it's all done by computers now isn't it and it's like no it's still artistry you know they're still hand animating and they are they are still lighting and texturing and painting and modeling and sculpting like it's it's a real skill and it's incredibly in depth like the learning curve is just so steep on it but it it's it's a wonderful thing if you can get into it and also incredibly liberating as a filmmaker because you suddenly go you know what we could we could do that we could how about we just tell a story like this or whatever so it, but one yeah. of the funny things that you did like just as an example of how sort of in a way we bodged a lot of stuff for cosmos is you should talk about like how you rendered the final scenes oh yeah so to at the end of the film i won't give anything away but we have some large radio dishes radio telescopes um satellite dishes i suppose and um they're visual effects they're visual effects and we we um we it, it was too much to render on my computer it would it would have taken i would probably still be rendering if i'd have done it on my computer um so we went about looking for like a render farm online so we found one which was fantastic and it was pretty cheap it was something like 20 quid for the month or something you know um and what you can do is you can create your shots and then you upload the file and then it renders you know based off the parameters that you give it but there was a limitation for this kind of cheapo student version of 20 pounds a month you couldn't have a a frame that took longer than like four minutes to render or something on their supercomputer mainframe thing um and the shot that i was submitting was over that it was exceeding it quite substantially it was maybe like 12 minutes or something per frame is that yeah per frame oh wow um and uh so i was like oh what am i gonna do we don't want to pay more money we don't have a budget for this you know oh upgrade to this super duper thing and you can just render forever um so what i did was i basically (laughs) i basically took each shot and i split it into four small shots effectively four quarters. four quarters uh and then i would upload each individual quarter as a separate shot to this server oh. and obviously that that cut down on the time so instead of taking 12 minutes it took less than four minutes per quarter but then you'd have to reassemble but then the i shot. had to reassemble all the shots and it had to be so. framed like yeah, pixel perfect, pixel perfect because so. you know you've got to reassemble this shot as if it's a seamless shot yeah mm. but it was just a bit of a sneaky i was like why do other people not do this <laughs> like this this works like it's a way around this i mean it's annoying but it works 
That's um, one of the many. That just gives you an example of when you say, "Ah, oh, we made a film." You know, <laughs> over five years, that's basically sums Cosmos up in a nutshell. It's Four like, years to render. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like one year of shooting and then just sitting waiting for the film to render. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Imagine it crashed. Yeah. Um, oh. With visual effects, this is the other thing. You know, I saw these tutorials, like Andrew Kramer does these ones yeah. for After Effects and Element 3D, which I was using. I'm like, oh, this is not too bad. This is quite quick. And then all of a sudden, your computer just goes, nah, you've, <laughs> yeah. you've had enough fun now. Yeah. We're not real-time rendering anymore. Now we're going to be a day. And you know yeah. what? We're going to be a day for like a frame or something. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. I don't quite get how it jumps so much. <laughs> and I don't want to know, like, if I make another project, which I, I hopefully will do, I'll go to the, the people I know. Like, the, the first guy I'd go to would be Ryan Thompson, and he made a video called Exploration. I think you guys seen this. Oh, he did uh, all in After Effects. Yes. And it was stunning. It was, like, amazing. I know and he's the one an amazing mean. visual effects artist. Anyway, he, he now works for Film Riot. But, yeah, I go to him, like, right, can you he charge? It. But he made a short film. Well, it was a fan film for Stranger Things. It's spectacular. You look at it and you go, well, that just looks like Stranger Things. Oh, I'll have to look it up. But I think it's better, like you say, to know how to do these things yourself. So when you do have someone that you can use, you're on the same page. Yeah, exactly. You can have those conversations, can't you? You can... And that helps them as well. You have some consideration for the work involved. It's not like, can you just make that happen? And can you tweak that? It's like, wow, that tweak's going to take me two days. So, yeah, sure, it's a tweak. Yeah, I think it's really valuable uh, and something that I'm very grateful for having made Cosmos the way we did. Um, I'm excited for future collaborations with people where we can be like, look, I know what you're going through here. I know how hard it is to get that microphone in there or I know how hard it is to, you know, how long it's going to take for you to change this V effect. Hopefully yeah. that'll ha give us some mutual ground and, and some respect between uh, all the different disciplines on the on the film set so it's crazy and it's time consuming but uh, i guess we're all trying to be the best filmmakers we can be and and i'd certainly advise at least dabbling in in, in as many areas as possible to have that understanding what part of the process do you most enjoy uh that is a good question i think it's weird because there are several in your head, you have several kind of keystone things that you enjoy. I think the, the first is that initial uh, kind of creation of your concept and your idea where you put, put some music on and you're, and you're bouncing ideas around and you're kind of getting to watch the movie for the first time in your head. And actually, it's the only time you'll ever be able to see it that way again because after that, you'll become so familiar with the story and the idea and the characters and everything that it will never seem fresh again. So that moment of creation is very special and very exciting and creative and it's also very private as well it's yeah like, yeah it's a moment of yeah literally like a moment of conception and and then and the minute you can the minute you think of it it exists you know it's in your head and it's there everything else is then about making it a reality and for other people to see it so that's wonderful and shooting is an adventure like it's hard and it's stressful but it is fun and it pushes you and you are, you're with people you're with people and and that there's a lot to be said for that you know when you've made a movie and you've sat in post-production for several years being around other people is like a wonderful wonderful experience you lift each other up and then getting the music in yeah. getting the sound effects in suddenly it turns from this rough cut kind of is this going to work thing to wow this is a movie oh my god it's um, you know and i remember i remember distinctly i keep a diary so these things stick in my head quite well but i remember we we were cutting the end of the movie and we laid down after we cut it we laid down the track from the end of et yeah. and we just were like we freaked out we were like this is a film hell you know we've made a movie <laughs> it looked and felt like a movie to us and 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 obviously then when we brought in chris davy and we wrote the music with him it was just this glorious moment You've, it's getting its own identity the scenes are being driven and guided and it's yeah so but but, and then, like, showing it, it's just, yeah. all of it's good, all of it's good. We I, love the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> I, we also had a very sort of private moment where we invited the three, the three main actors around to our house and we showed them the film for the first time and they had waited about 
two and a half years, no, about two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was August 2018 and we wrapped in August 2016. And they'd been very patient. They never once bugged us and said, look, you know, what's going on? And they came around to our house and they'd kind of forgotten the movie in a way. You know, it'd been two years ago to them. We'd lived it every single day. Um, but we projected it. We got a little projector. And when it finished, they literally, they didn't know what, to do and we all we all like huddled and we all like formed a huddle and we literally jumped up and down on the spot like laughing hysterically because for them and for us we'd done it you know this stupid idea this crazy idea of let's make a film as mates and it had come together and we'd achieved it and and there was this moment of release and moment of relief and Mm -hmm. it was just very very magical and i'll never forget that moment and i think if i had to if I had to keep one memory of all of Cosmos, mm. that moment of like standing arm in arm with your, we, we, it's very, maybe quite, quite cheesy, but we actually say the film, we've lived the story of the film. So it has ended, it's concluded with us taking the film to Hollywood and having a premiere in LA and having a short theatrical run in the US and it's on VOD and we went and we all went and like looked at our name literally the name of the film on that classic cinema like letterboard Cosmos and we we as a group of friends have ended like arm in arm looking up at the light in the sky (laughs) like looking at each other smiling going we've done it can you believe I never thought I'd see this happen and It only dawned on us after making the movie that we, we had been on our own similar sort of cosmos adventure. Um, and that's why when we say to people, we encourage people to do it, it's kind of, again, it sounds maybe a bit trite and a bit corny, but the adventure and the journey of filmmaking and who you become along the way is actually what matters. So you do make a film and you put it out there and people enjoy it, or some people hate it. You know, we, we, we read comments, some people hate Cosmos, and that's cool, like, that's film. Um, but who you'll become as a filmmaker and who the friendships that you will create is really what it's about. And um, I encourage and I try, and we both try and beat the drum as much as possible for just grabbing your camera, getting your mates, and getting out there and shooting something. It doesn't matter if anybody ever sees it. It doesn't matter whether you don't like it, because... We live in a world now where we're so sort of pressurised by social pressures, social media, to kind of never put a foot wrong and be perfect and we're always looking, side-eyeing other people that we know who are maybe progressing more than we are or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and it can really hinder you. And also the industry as a whole is such a glamorous thing and we all want the best gear and we all want the best of everything. And actually it can really... You can really lose track of what matters. Like, we all fell in love with filmmaking once upon a time because we love movies and we just want to make them. So don't lose track of that. You know, maybe you're not making Interstellar. Okay, fine, nobody's going to see it. Maybe it's not a big thing. But to you, that's not what matters. That's not why you fell in love with movies. So don't forget it. And we really try and encourage any filmmaker, whether they're making a student short or they're just messing around with their brothers or sisters in the garden with an iPhone or whether they actually want to give a feature a crack, just... Just give it a go, like just because you don't know where it will. You don't know where you'll end up. It's out there now. It's like what you say about people mightn't see it, but then people might. You might have say another movie that comes out, or three movies down the yeah. line that something really big happens, and then you'll have filmmakers watch that or fans of that film and they'll go back and look what did they do first or what did they do before that like james cameron did piranha 2 that was the first thing he did it's evergreen like you know you've got that that movie out there now and it will get seen because you'll make more stuff and then you'll have people go i want to see everything that they've done or yeah i totally agree i mean we say that we actually say that quite a lot don't we you know we're thrilled with the response to cosmos and people are seeing it but there's a much bigger audience out there there are there are millions and millions of people who don't know it even exists and all of that and and we're trying hard to continue to get in front of new audiences and hopefully bring some enjoyment to them but we also think you know one day we are gonna like our goal here is to continue making films we're going to keep making movies and if we can grow bigger and bigger movies and a bigger fan base who enjoy our stories, then they will also be introduced to Cosmos. So it will always have its its own place, and it and and it will always be seen by people. So that's that. We I know exactly what you're talking about when you say that. Totally agree. 
when we first spoke as well, we couldn't speak about anything about the film and we haven't spoke really much about the actual content of the film. And I don't really want to do that because I want people to watch it. Um, but one thing we couldn't speak about was the business side of it and the distribution yeah. side of yeah. it. And you were dying to tell me. I could tell you, were like, <laughs> well, we, should, we can't really. Well, we, no, we can't. We can't. It's not just, we don't want to jinx it. Well, now that it's all out there and it's all done, what was that process like from you know how did you get the distribution what was it like going to la i imagine it was a horrible time <laughs> it's uh the distribution process was interesting like it, we we'd done everything ourselves on the movie so when it came to distribution we were just like you know what why don't we carry on with this why don't we try and do this ourselves in terms of trying to secure a distributor so you know you can get a sales agent and they will handle uh that process for you but then you've got another party in between you and your distributor and they take a cut and there's all sorts of complications it it works out either way actually whichever way you do it it works but we were just like let's try it ourselves so we we went on imdb and we imdb pro we made a list of like the top 100 indie distributors and we just went from the top and we started contacting sending out emails some of them you just can't get through to you can't you know they don't they don't they don't want unsolicited messages but many of them do you know it's their business and they're looking for people who have made movies they're looking for producers and filmmakers so they're always welcome to hear welcome they welcome new messages coming through like this so we we had our eye on gravitas ventures uh, from the start as an indie distributor because they're quite well known amongst the community and and in the end, that's who we, we ended up signing with and we got a great deal with them. And um, they did a, the, the big news for us at the time, which we probably couldn't talk about, was the fact that they were going to do a theatrical run for us in the States. So they, they'd they committed to like a 10-city release of the film across America. And, you know, that for us was just... Well, it's insane, It was it? nuts. Like we, our goal for this was like getting on some VOD platform and, and making another movie, but to... to to think that this film would be projected up on big screens across America was just a dream come true. Um, so we were trying to act all cool on the phone when that information came through, but obviously when we hung up, we were jumping around and bouncing off the walls and everything. <laughs> um, you know, trying to play it cool. Oh, yeah, you mentioned, you said theatrical there. Could you just give us a bit more information about that? You know, While we're looking at each other going, oh, my God. Um and yeah, it's and it got uh, same day release worldwide on VOD platforms as well, and and just a, a great outcome for the film, really. Um, the business side of it was like, I mean, we did a lot of negotiation with them. We had one thing that we try and say to people is if they can do is, uh, which worked for us, was we got two competing distributors sort of vying for the film, um, and that gave that suddenly gave us like some bargaining chips. Um, it started, we had one distributor interested, and then as we tried to negotiate with them, their stance was, well, no, uh, because why would we shift from what's favourable from us? You've got no other offers. But as soon as we got another competing party in uh, the mix, we could play them off against one another and basically make them fight for who wanted it the most, and the only people that benefited from that really was us. Um, you know, they, they chased each other in the terms, you know, made the terms more favourable for us. So that's something that if you can, I would encourage if there are any filmmakers listening who are seeking distribution, if you can try and get two competing parties, that allows you some, gives you a bit of a crowbar really to wiggle what you want a little bit more. Um, and that's what we were able to do with Cosmos. We spent about maybe a month and a half in negotiations with the companies um, and yeah, just worked with them and then once we signed with someone the process was you know mastering the film up getting it delivered in like a, a dcp and getting all the masters uploaded to their server and providing all the artwork and you know all that sort of thing really and, it, and that was uh, an interesting process as well yeah and, and you know to be to be completely open and honest like the process of distribution isn't all rosy it's not like a a perfect thing i don't want people to look and go like oh i wish i had an experience like these guys because there are challenges you know there's like they are they're in it to make money and they're obviously in it to get your film out there but they're in it for their own yeah. uh, gains and there are challenges along the way about you know how you how 
how you're treated, how you're treated, or how you're the, communicated with. Yeah, whether it, the communication is 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 as quick as you'd like or whatever, and you have to be open and have those conversations with them, and and they're receptive to that, which is great. But yeah, as indie filmmakers, I think it's a very very well. It should be common knowledge that it's uh, it's the little guy up against the big guy yeah. when it comes. I think there's to a bit of a glass ceiling there as is. to what you can expect. You know, you could probably go to any sort of distributor in our league that we were working with and we'd probably end up with a similar relationship oh, yeah, where yeah. they've got bigger fish to worry about and you know so like Xander said it's nice to be able to give people that that both sides of the it is and it's exciting also you look at film and where we're at at the moment with streaming and all sorts and you kind of it it, it seems to me that the the landscape is changing quite a lot so I'm quite hopeful that we're going to find ourselves in a place in the coming years where actually distributors you know, are, aren't as necessary as they were at, at one point in time. They're currently not as necessary as they were, you know, 15 years ago. And maybe in 10 years' time, they filmmakers and producers will be able to just get their content straight to an audience uh, independently. Um, that's not to say, obviously, that distributors don't bring great value to your movie. You know, they have a huge contact book they they go to markets they get you publicity and it's just it is incredibly valuable but it would also be nice for filmmakers to have that option if they wanted to take it to actually just go direct to their audience and and i think we're in that place now but i think we're we're slowly moving well, towards yeah that more fully really i mean we've got a friend a filmmaker friend called david devos he has uh he's got a film called a champion heart and literally on the 14th of april that was released on netflix in the us and the uk and it's a film very similar uh family feel made movie you know made by a core team of passionate filmmakers and and friends and you know it's a it's a, just a shining example again to any filmmakers out there that you know platforms like netflix pick up indie movies he's yeah he's made cool. this movie it's been a long journey for him he's had ups and downs in distribution as well but he has in the last month received this incredible news and and we've been talking to him he's a great guy uh a good friend and and he just says like i feel like i've reached the top of my everest like i couldn't hope <laughs> for anything more you know and and it's great great news but the relevance there i guess is that he he didn't actually have a distributor I think he has a he has a sales agent. He has a sales agent. Yeah. So he has a, he went a different route. I think he wanted to get with Gravitas Ventures. Um, it didn't quite work out for him, but he he ended up have, partnering with someone else. So there's but just, he's ended up on Netflix. He's got he's so, on Netflix. Like yeah. there's all sorts of different routes here for for filmmakers. And actually, you know, you can't you can't weigh up and and know what the right path is. You have to just feel what's right at the time and go with it. And I think. Again, that's a good tip for people. You can get lost in like analysis paralysis where you just you don't know what route to take. So just just take the route that you think's right for you and your movie and it should turn out well. It's worked for us and it's worked for Dave. So yeah, it's worked for, it'll a work few for people other we people. Yeah, so. uh, Xander and Elliot, thank you so much for coming on this week's show. Uh, just remind anyone who wants to see the film where they can see it. Cool. The film is called Cosmos. It's available on Amazon Prime. Uh, in the US and in the UK. It's also available worldwide on Vimeo and other platforms as well. If people go to cosmosmovieofficial.com, uh, they can find out all the information they need uh, about where they can check it out and they can catch us on social media as well. So um, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you again. And that's it for this episode. And as always, a big thank you to Xander and Elliot for taking the time to chat with us. You can find out more information about Cosmos and all our guests by going over to our website, cinechill.com, where you can find the episode page for this podcast and where to connect with Xander and Elliot and watch the film. If you did like this episode, go to iTunes, leave a review and subscribe. It takes seconds and it will really help us. But until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>